0: Production support for Earth Eats comes from Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at bloomingfoods.coop. And Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at (music) personalfinancialservices.net. From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats.
1: One of the things that's like slowly hit me over the last week is how unprepared most people are for a crisis like this.
0: This week on our show, we talked with CEO Amanda Nicky of Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, a local food pantry making adjustments to continue to get food to the people who need it most. And we check in with local farmers markets to hear how they're working to get fresh food from the farm to the table while maintaining that crucial distance. That's all coming up, so stay tuned. Food is essential. While restaurants and cafes around the country are closed or moving to takeout and delivery in response to COVID-19 restrictions... The grocery stores remain open. Truck drivers are now allowed to stay on the road longer to keep food on the shelves. And migrant farm workers continue to plant, tend, and harvest crops in the field. And in my town, Bloomington, Indiana, the Hoosier Hills Food Bank is still running. They're supplying organizations like the Community Kitchen and Shalom Center and Mother Hubbard's Cupboard with food. For those in our community who struggle to get food on the table in the best of times, let alone in the middle of a pandemic, but even these essential service providers are making dramatic changes to the way they operate. Late last week, I spoke with Amanda Nicky, president and CEO of Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, known locally as the Hub, a community food resource center in Bloomington, Indiana.
1: We offer. Uh food pantry that operates kind of like a grocery store. We try to offer as much fresh food as possible. People can just walk through the pantry and pick the items that they want. And then we also offer education programming. So we have cooking and gardening programming, a tool share that is a lending library of cooking and gardening tools. We have kids programming, kids cook, and kids gardening workshops. And then we also do advocacy around local, state, and national issues affecting hunger and poverty.
0: Do you consider the work that you do at Mother Hubbard's to be an essential service? Like as this is kind of coming up right now during this crisis, there's a lot of talk about what are the essential services. Do you consider this an essential service?
1: yeah I mean, I think um, simply because folks rely on us week to week just to make it, we have become an essential service i I think one of the things that's like slowly hit me over the last week is how unprepared most people are for a crisis like this. It's not like responding to a natural disaster where the harm or the risk has happened, or, you know, the the disaster has happened, and now you're going into a community and trying to meet the food needs. Um, You know, food banks have lots of experience with that kind of thing. But when I think about, you know, what we're all going through right now, like, we're all at risk all the time. And that's something that I'm trying to wrap my brain around. Um, How do we, as emergency food providers, Respond to the everyday need, the crisis need, and the real risk to ourselves um, and to others that we're interacting with. And that's something that I, it's just, I know that everyone is saying this, it's unprecedented, um, but it is. And that's the thing that I don't, I don't really know, I don't really know what to do. And, I you know right now today we are in essential service unless someone else or you know someone from the government or the military or something steps in um and takes control over this then you know we we are in we are in essential service.
0: What do you think that this crisis tells us or can tell us about how we deal with hunger in the US?
1: I mean I I think mostly that it's highlighting how much of our everyday lives, food banks and food pantries and soup kitchens have become, that, you know, when someone needs food, then these are the ways that they should go about getting it um, instead of really trying to address those root causes and that it's an inadequate response and that it's, you know, the, the people who rely on our services And, you know, people all over the country who rely on similar services just to make it through the week, that these are the people that are going to be at a higher risk of contracting the virus and getting seriously ill because they have to be out there. They have to, you know, get food wherever they can during the week um, from as many resources as are available to them. They don't have the option of going to the store and buying several weeks worth of food or ordering things online and having it delivered to their home. I just I think that it's it's highlighting all of the different ways that we actually have a different food system for people who are experiencing poverty.
0: Do you think that it's the responsibility of charities
1: like a Food Pantry to meet this need? I think that's I think that's a difficult question because. I think that the community as a whole feels that it's our role to meet the need during this crisis, right? But I I have to feel a little bit like, at least for me, I don't feel fully equipped to deal with this crisis and to do the work that we are supposed to do. You know, we we're really good at running the organization that we have, um, but this is something we've never, ever had to experience. And I think that, you know, we're being careful and we're taking precautions. And I know that all the other organizations in our community are doing the same thing, and we're all doing the best that we can with what we have. But it feels... uh, I don't know. It feels a little bit lonely. It feels a little bit... Like, we're just making it up as we go um, and hoping that we're doing the right thing. So, I mean, if, is it a responsibility? Is it an obligation? Is it our role? I think those are all a little bit different things. I know that all of, you know, I, I'm speaking for The Hub, but probably other organizations in town, too. Like, we do feel like if we don't do this, who's going to? But we feel like that every day anyway because that's just the reality of the work that we do, that if we don't provide food for people who need it in our community, who else is going to do that? Wages aren't going up, housing isn't getting cheaper. The people who have power to change the conditions in our community aren't doing that. And so we have to be here every day doing the things that we do. And now in this crisis that at least I don't feel fully equipped to handle, we have to keep doing that and we have to do more, and we have to take a take on more of a risk, um, more of a risk than we've ever had to do before.
0: The first change they made was to cancel all programming except for food distribution.
1: We stopped all of our non-essential programming, so workshops and all of our cooking demos, the drop-in classes that we have, kids cook, all of our kids programming. Um, we suspended the tool share rentals um, right now. Mostly we just don't have the capacity to deal with, with the tool share program on top of everything else.
0: Then they limited the number of people allowed in the pantry at one time. Quickly, they switched to a pickup system outside on the patio and asked people to approach one at a time.
1: And we set up some cone barriers that just said stop here, one household at a time, and asked people to just walk up tell us if they wanted you know what kind of meat they wanted there were some options that people could choose from we prep the box we take it to a table that's six feet from the cones when we walk away after dropping the box down then we would tell folks they could come up and pick up their box
0: on Monday March 16th they made the difficult decision to prohibit volunteers on site
1: we have you know anywhere between four and five hundred volunteers on an annual basis and dozens each day on different shifts. And it's just too many people to try to catch up to speed every day. And we wanted to make our best effort to close our circle and limit the number of people that we're in close contact with. And it just seemed like the best thing to do is to minimize who was going to be in the building and who was going to be packing the boxes and who was going to be in close quarters together. Um, so we narrowed it down to just staff. And it feels terrible. And I know that, you know, this is the kind of situation that people want to do. You know, they want to ma- they want to take some kind of action. And I know it's so hard for so many people to know that the best action they can do is to stay at home. It was heartbreaking to have to tell so many of our regular volunteers last week that we love you and we wish you could be here, but you can't. Um, the best thing you can do for us is to stay home and to support us from afar. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And and you normally have a spring fundraiser, like, like a gathering?
1: Yeah, and at this time of the year, I would be panicking and having anxiety about a different issue, and it would be our harvest team breakfast. Um, this year it was to be held on April 2nd. Um, it's the largest fundraiser that we have of the year, and it raises over a hundred thousand dollars for our programs. These are the donations that allow us to do the food pantry, but also like our other really innovative programming, our education programming, our tool share, um, the advocacy work that we do. And so, the loss of that fundraiser is pretty devastating for us. We're seeing donations online and and coming through the mail, but once things get a little more routine or settled for us. Once we adjust to the new normal, um, we're going to have to make a game plan for making up for that fundraiser. It's the kind of event where people make a multi-year pledge. So they're giving us a gift this year, but they're also pledging a donation for five years out. So this is going to have a ripple effect for the next five years for us. I do want to talk about the community response because we've seen a lot of support from the community. And I think a lot of organizations in town have, and I'm sure organizations all over the country have, but we've seen an amazing outpouring of support either financially or with resources. We desperately needed boxes last week and we were getting box deliveries all day, every day, um, from folks in the community. Um, We've had a lot of financial donations that are really, really helpful right now. Other businesses in town who have dropped off supplies for us, gloves or boxes, food, beer, (laughs) those kinds of things, um, just to help us kind of get through each day has been really, uh, it's been really moving for me. Sometimes this work can seem really lonely and sometimes it feels like people in, in the community don't really understand how serious the situation is every day. And so for people to come out and show us this kind of support right now, it means a lot. Um, even just the email messages or the voicemail messages that we're getting from folks that are saying thank you, um, or the posts on Facebook that are just saying thank you for being there or thank you for doing this or, you know, keep, keep at it, you're doing a great job. It's helping us. It's helping us get through each day. Thank you!
0: (laughs) So they were down to six staff members focused on a new system of packing up food boxes and handing them out in the parking lot. I stopped by on Friday, and keeping my distance, I observed their system for the last two hours of the day. The staff arranged stools and rope in the parking lot with signage, directing people to the tent. The lot could hold about six cars at once. It was full for the entire two hours with cars backed up down the street. A few folks without cars walked up and stepped into the line. Each household could take the number of boxes they needed and had a choice between fish and chicken and an option for a gallon of
1: milk. It's an incredibly different model than what we're used to.
0: Full disclosure, I worked at the hub for seven years. Central to the organization's mission is serving people with dignity offering choice, and building relationships. Handing someone a prepackaged box, wearing a face mask and gloves, and keeping a six-foot distance goes against everything the hub stands for. Thank you,
1: though. Yeah, that one's here. Sure. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, you guys are
0: awesome. Thank Thanks. You you Amanda, Sarah, Liz, Kristen, Hannah, and Alyssa managed to keep their spirits up, cracking jokes and cranking the music from the warehouse. At one point, when a patron had trouble hearing the meat choices, Amanda resorted to gesturing. Fish? Moving her hand like a wave. Then, chicken? With thumbs in her armpits, she flapped her arms like chicken wings. meat?
1: Fish or chicken? <laughs> uh, chicken. It was
0: impossible not to laugh out loud, or at least crack a smile.
2: Okay, there you go. Thanks. Thanks, guys, be for careful. everything. No, be Thanks for your work
0: and I observed another gesture from Amanda. After the boxes for a household were gathered on the table and ready for pickup, Amanda would let them know, saying, here you go, thanks. And she'd give the sides of the boxes several affectionate pats with her gloved hands before walking back to her station to maintain that six-foot distance. Okay. There you go. I read those pats as her intention to connect. Almost a virtual hug. A way to say, I can't be close to you, but I care about you. There wasn't a lot of room for such tenderness in these interactions. For the sake of clarity, it was mostly reduced to instructions and requests, often yelled across the distance and over the hum of idling cars. But Amanda found a way. It seems like that's what people are doing all over in our communities, adjusting to this new normal. Finding a way. Neighbors on the Bryan Park Listserv organized 150 safety packs with essential hygiene and protective items for Shalom to hand out to those experiencing homelessness. I'm hearing stories like this from around the country and across the globe. After a short break, we'll hear how local farmers and food vendors are finding ways to get food to their customers, and even to those who can't afford to pay. Stay with us. You want one or
1: two boxes? Fish or chicken? Milk? Chicken. One box of chicken.
0: Production support comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.Studio. Insurance agent, Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance. Offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at billreshinsurance.com And Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at BloomingFoods.coop. WFIU is here for you. Keeping you connected to the world by bringing the world to your home. Even in extraordinary times, we're committed to bringing you the accurate information you need and the beautiful music and compelling stories you count on. This week, we had intended to hold our spring fun drive. In light of the coronavirus crisis, we made the decision to postpone it in order to provide you and your neighbors with uninterrupted programming. But our funding needs remain the same if you're in a position to help WFIU with financial support, please make a gift at wfiu.org donate. Your donation, in any amount, will help ensure WFIU's future and allow us to continue to be a vital resource in our community in the days, months, and years to come. Thank you. One of the beautiful things about community farmers markets is, well, the community. People gathering on Saturday to celebrate local food, grab a coffee and maybe pastry, listen to music and bump into friends and neighbors. With the social distancing now required to slow the spread of COVID-19, local farmers markets are shifting gears to get food to customers and get cash to farmers, all while keeping everyone from spreading the virus. The Bloomington Winter Farmers Market at Switchyard Park Pavilion had just three markets left in their season when the restrictions went into effect, preventing the Saturday gathering from taking place as usual. That first week, the market was canceled. But it didn't take long for market master Addison Lively and the market board to regroup.
3: Our treasurer, at one point, she was like, "Okay, here's an idea. What if we do a sort of drive-through market? Like, it was suggested that we take that we get items from vendors that will be available and allow customers to order them essentially online ahead of time and pay for them ahead of time so that come Saturday, we can have, all of the vendors can have their, their orders together and we can build them as um, customers pull up and they can just pick up their order. We can just hand it, uh, you know, in their back seat, we can pop it in their trunk Um, just to avoid as little contact, human
2: contact, as possible.
0: On Saturday morning, cars lined up in the spacious parking lot, and runners approached cars, got the name, and headed back to the pavilion to gather the order. It all took time. There were plenty of kinks to work out. But the farmers and the vendors sold their products, and the customers got their local food fix. I spoke with a market customer, Carl Ibsen, from a distance while he waited for his order on Saturday. I asked him what he ordered.
3: Yes, I ordered jam, beans, eggs, chicken, collards, kale, spinach, coffee, bread, and almond croissant.
0: (laughs) Sounds like a Margaret run. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you, how'd you get here? On my bike.
3: I'm cutting the line. Not having to wait in that line of cars,
0: <laughs> Addison says there was a lot of improvising involved.
3: we We were able to find a routine that that worked for us. it was It was going to be chaotic, no matter how how quick or thorough we tried to be. And it was chaotic. Nine to twelve thirty we had a line of cars to to get through. But we were able to do it for the vast majority of customers. They got what they needed.
0: That was Addison Lively, market master at the Bloomington Winter Farmers Market at Switchyard Park Pavilion. This Saturday, March 28th, is their last market of the season. Another local market, though, is just getting started.
4: My name is Brandy Williams. I'm a member of the People's Market Planning Committee. It was sort of inspired by the Eastside Farmer's Market that took place in 2019 and has developed now into the People's Market with the original intention of having an on-the-ground location in the parking lot of the Eastside Blooming Foods. When the COVID-19 challenges arose in our community, obviously we had some constraints.
0: The planning committee shifted gears and created the People's CSA. Their order form is streamlined into a produce box with a variety of items from various farmers and a bread and egg box. They're adding a dessert box this week. The People's CSA also has the option of sponsoring a share for someone who can't afford to pay and the option of ordering a box free of charge.
4: This week, I think we have sold 390 boxes. That's a combination of produce, um, bread and egg boxes, as well as dessert boxes. And this week, out of the 390 boxes that were purchased, 158 of those were sponsored boxes that will go to families in need.
0: Pickup for the People CSA takes place on Saturdays in the Kmart parking lot next to Blooming Foods on the east side. The shares are on a table, and customers are asked to keep the required six-foot distance when picking up their shares. They'll be modifying their process and their offerings in the coming weeks as they settle into the season, and to what might be the new normal. Bloomington's largest and long-standing market, Bloomington Community Farmers Market, held at City Hall, was also scheduled to open April 4th. I spoke with Rachel Beyer. She's the local food coordinator working with the city of Bloomington.
2: Uh, Farmers markets and farm stands are still considered essential, like grocery stores, which is really great news. I'm glad that the state of Indiana sees that as important. But there are still community health concerns. So the city has been working to try to set up an online platform that uh, customers could shop from individual vendors like they normally would outside, but virtually instead, and then fill a shopping cart and they could buy from as many vendors as they wanted and pay online and then pick up at a drive through location, probably Switchyard Park. So we have acquired the software to do that and now we're in the process of integrating it with all of the city you know, accounts and systems, uh, which is time-consuming and tricky, Uh, so we aren't exactly sure about the timeline of when this platform is going to be able to open. We are currently aiming for the first Saturday in April, but we will know more by the end of the week about the actual timeline.
0: And Rachel had this to add about local farmers and vendors.
2: A lot of the farms that sell at Farmer's Market, they don't really have a lot of other outlets for their product, and so they really depend on community members showing up To buy their beautiful food every week. And we are doing our best to organize this alternate option so that people can continue to do that in a safe way during this health crisis. And keep in mind that buying directly from a local farmer, the number of people who have touched the food before it gets to you is way less than if you were buying it from a grocery store and it had been shipped across the country or world. So it's really important to support local businesses in our community during this difficult time.
0: That was Rachel Beyer talking about the Bloomington Community Farmers Market, one of several area farmers markets switching to an online ordering and pickup service to comply with the public gathering restrictions in response to the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. We have more information and links to all of the markets mentioned in this episode on our website, eartheats.org. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. Keep in touch, but keep your distance and take good care of yourselves and each other. We'll be back next week. The Earth Eats team includes Ayoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Taylor Killo,
4: Josephine McRobbie, Daniel Orr, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and
0: performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our
3: executive producer is John Bailey.
0: Special thanks this week to Amanda Nikki and everyone at The Hub. Stacey Decker, Brandi Williams, Addison Lively, Marsha Veldman, and Rachel Beyer. Production support comes from Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net. Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. And insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance. Offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage. In affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at BillRushInsurance.com.